You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 979 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, coming to you live on a Sunday evening into Monday morning, and today's show is brought to you by rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliable low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com and tell them Locked On sent you. Today's podcast will focus on what became a 111-104 to win for the Hawks at home or the Milwaukee Bucks this evening. And uh, going into the fourth quarter, it was not looking fantastic. The Hawks were hanging around throughout the game to their credit, but they had to turn on the Jets late, scoring 41 points in the fourth quarter, a, basically a shooting barrage to uh, get them the win in the fourth, and the Hawks have been so good lately. Um, that goes without saying, I think, at this point, but they've won 11 of the last 14 games. They're now 7 over 500 for the first time in a long, long time. And between Friday's win over Miami and this one, two of their top five wins of the season, probably. Um, even, I would say that's conservative. So uh, an impressive time and a fun time to be a Hawks fan, I am sure. So we'll dive in, always, um, as we do on the show, to everything that transpired in this game. So we'll go back to pregame for a second. The Hawks have kind of struggled against the Bucs recently. Um, that's sort of understating it. The Hawks have lost 12 of the last 13 against Milwaukee coming into the night, including the last six in a row and both games this year. So on paper, a tough matchup, and Milwaukee was at full strength, at least relatively so in this game roster-wise, when the Hawks obviously were not. Trey Young still out, for instance. Milwaukee wasn't a back-to-back, which definitely matters, but Hawks still underdogs, and I think rightfully so, at home, given their track record against the Bucs in recent days, but they end up obviously playing very well here. An injury report update, Uh, Capella returned in this game. That was a huge factor. I thought he was fantastic defensively. And uh, spoiler alert, this is a defense-first win, in my view, for the Hawks. Obviously, the fourth quarter headlines will be offensive-related, which I totally understand. They've played incredible offense in the fourth quarter. But I think overall, for the full game, it was a defense-first performance from Atlanta. Capella was the anchor of that. The other big thing on the injury report was that Chris Dunn was upgraded to doubtful. He did not play in this game, which is important to note. But it was the first time all season he was not listed as out coming into the first injury report. So will he play Monday? I have no idea. But doubtful is different than out. And that was uh, not a small thing. In fact, John Collins said Saturday after practice that Dunn's been their biggest and loudest cheerleader all season long. He's been engaged throughout the process is what John was saying. He seems pretty excited that Dunn is getting close. By the way, he's not played since January 29th, 2020. So it's been a long time. Keep your expectations mild as a result. But he'll be back hopefully pretty soon here. Still, Atlanta had no Dunn, of course, no Trey Young, no DeAndre Hunter, Tony Snell and Cam Reddish all missed this game. Uh, Trey was on the broadcast, actually, during this game and said he was getting better every day with the ankle. But McMillan said um, earlier that he's not done much on the court so far, just getting treatment and all that stuff, trying to heal. So I'm not sure what that means. McMillan did say post-game, sorry, pre-game, that he just will receive the travel list later tonight on Sunday, and that'll be the only indication that we get about Trey. So we probably won't know anything about uh, his status from Monday and beyond until tomorrow as you're listening to this, I guess today as you're listening to this on Monday afternoon. So keep an eye on that. I'll have it on Twitter, but that's the latest on the injury front. Um, The Bucs were missing a couple guys, but nothing hugely notable. But again, as I alluded to earlier, the Hawks were actually five and a half point underdogs, according to our friends at betonline.eg in this game. And uh, obviously they covered that one (laughs) with flying colors. So to the game itself, Um, the first interesting decision the Hawks made, I think that worked out pretty well, was that they had Capella as the primary defender on Giannis at the outset of this game. That is not a crazy tactic because a lot of teams do this against Giannis. He's definitely more of a, you know, I know he handles the ball, but if you have a mobile enough center to guard him, um, that's probably the best way to do that. Capella's obviously very good at that. Plus, you have enough size with Collins to guard Brooke Lopez. 
that was helpful and it ended up working out pretty well. The Hawks sort of landed the first blow with a 12 to three run early in the first quarter, take the lead after Milwaukee sort of struck first. The Hawks led 16 12 at the first timeout, and Kevin Herrera had it going in the early going. He had nine points in the first 16 of the Hawks, and Atlanta was kind of giving them. I was taking what they gave them in this game. Milwaukee plays this drop coverage defensively, and the Hawks were content, I think rightfully so, for most of this game to get, to get into floater range, get in the mid-range, and they have some guys who can do that between Lou Williams and Herter and Bogdanovich. That was what they had, and it was working to some extent. Like now, off, Offensively, it was modest until the fourth quarter, but that was sort of a, a, a game plan thing that the Hawks utilized in this spot. Substitution-wise, it was Gallinari and Goodwin as the first subs for the Hawks as they started that big lineup again with Herter and Bogdanovich as the two guards. They went to Goodwin and then Lou later on with the Congo coming in uh, later in the first quarter. No one could score in this game for large portions, including the one in the first quarter. The Hawks didn't score for about three minutes and 15 seconds, and Milwaukee only had two points in that entire span as well. Collins had an awesome help block on Middleton that broke the drought with an impressive finish of his own and didn't get the call at the rim. Uh, that was a focus of this game. I'm glad the Hawks won because, well, just in general, but I'm glad they won this game because the refereeing was not... Uh, great in this game, especially in the first half. There were lots of interesting decisions we'll get into later on, but that would have been a big story had the, Haw had the Hawks lost this game in a close one, especially, but obviously they won it, so it was less so. But um, the Bucks did finish strong, a 10-3 run at the end of the first quarter, take the three-point three lead of the Hawks did lead early in this game. And Bogdanovich actually had 10, Herter had 9 at the end of the first quarter, um, but it was, all, it was pretty much defense for the most part, dominating things on both ends of the floor. In the second quarter, Gallinari had, a, had a sort of broke a drought for the Hawks, getting some shot making. He's really an awesome kind of wild card late in the shot clock, which is always helpful for a team that needs off needs offense, especially with Trey Young out of the lineup. And the Herder had a nice fadeaway jump shot. Akongwu struggled a little bit offensively. He missed a couple of bunnies around the rim that he normally makes, so that was something to circle. And in fact, the bench was pretty brutal in the first half, which we'll get into later. But um, a pretty quick pace, actually. The Hawks have been playing very slow for a while now under McMillan. Uh, in this game, it was not a slow-paced game. It wasn't crazy fast, but especially in the first half, it was a little bit faster paced than the Hawks have been playing at. And that kind of masked the fact they couldn't really score efficiently. The Hawks were down one when they called a late timeout, and Atlanta was 5-18 from three with no free throws, and only down by one, which is pretty fortunate, I think, overall. Then Miami, sorry, Miami, Milwaukee closed on a 9-2 run to go up by eight at the half. The Hawks only had two points in the final 4.08 of the first half. The offense was not good for large portions of this game. Now, the crazy stat of the first half was that the Hawks did not attempt a single free throw. That was the first time in any half this season, and with courtesy to Graham Chapel of Peachtree Hoops, who gave me this stat, the first time in any half the Hawks did not take a free throw since April 1st of 2018. So that's a long time ago. That is pre-Trey Young. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I mean, that's been a while. And normally, you just don't see that. Uh, teams, Even teams that don't get to the line very much uh, take free throws in every half, essentially. I don't want to overstate it, but the Hawks were fourth in the league in free throw attempts coming into the night. Obviously, Trey Young is the number one free throw guy, so that, that's part of this. But there was not a lot of whistles going in Atlanta's favor in the first half. I'm not a big ref show guy. I was not, you know, throwing things around my, around my, uh, around my seat watching this game. But... Not great, necessarily, with the whistles, especially Collins, who's sort of taken over the Paul Millsap uh, role of just never drawing a foul call for some reason. Anyway, the Hawks had a sub-90 offensive rating in the first half. They shot 38% from the floor and 26% from three with no free throws. That's pretty rough. Now, they took care of the ball, which was helpful, but they shot 8 of 24 from the field and 1 of 6 from three in the second quarter, only with only 17 points. So that was a red flag, to be sure. Uh, there were four guys that played pretty well offensively in the first half. 
Herter and Madonna scored 27 of the 43 points, so they were obviously pretty good. And then Gallinari and Collins, that four, Herter, Bogdanovich, Gallinari, and Collins, they shot 18 of 32 from the floor, which is totally fine. The rest of the team in the first half, so everybody that was not those four guys, was 1 of 18 from the floor in the first half, including 0 of 6 from Lou Williams, who was one of the heroes in the fourth, but Lou was very bad until the fourth. Now, he was obviously great when it mattered, but uh, the first half, it was definitely not great offensively for the Hawks. They were able to stay in touch. Being down by only eight after all that is pretty manageable, as as we saw as the rest of this game on the floor. That was uh, they put themselves in a chance with it with a chance to win by hanging around for large portions of this game. Okay, before we get to the second half and some takeaways and all of that kind of stuff, a word from our sponsors on today's podcast, and the first of which is Indeed. Imagine you're the hiring expert for your company. What you really need is to make your shortlist of quality candidates. You need a hiring partner who makes your life easier, and you need Indeed. Indeed is the job site that makes hiring as easy as one, two, three, post-screening interview all on Indeed. Get your quality short list of candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description faster. Only pay for the candidates that meet your must-have qualifications and schedule and complete your video interviews in your Indeed dashboard. Indeed makes connecting with and hiring the right talent fast and easy. With tools like Indeed Instant Match, which gives you quality candidates whose resume on Indeed fits your job description immediately, and Indeed Skills Test that on average reduce hiring time by 27%. You can choose from more than 130 skills tests or add your own, then add your must-have requirements so that you only have to pay for your applications that meet them. According to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all of the other job sites combined. If you're hiring, you need Indeed. Get started right now with a free $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash locked. Get a $75 credit at Indeed.com slash locked. Indeed.com slash locked. Offer valid through June 30th. Terms and conditions apply. Today's show is also sponsored by the good folks at Built Bar. Built Bar is spectacular, and if anything, it's more delicious than ever. Built Bar has a ton of amazing flavors that we've been talking about for quite some time on the podcast. That includes options with or without nuts. And it also features some of my personal favorites like lemon almond cheesecake and cookies and cream. Each and every bar is covered in 100% chocolate and they're also soft and easy to chew, making the entire experience all that much better. And Built Bar is also great if you're trying to be health conscious, you can maintain or even lose weight while enjoying something that tastes absolutely incredible. Built Bar is also low calorie, low sugar, high protein, and high fiber. And Built Bar is even great for the keto diet. My personal favorite, as I said a number of times, is cookies and cream. And the profile there from the health perspective is awesome. 17 grams of protein, 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and only 4 grams of net carbs. It is a fantastic time to check out BuiltBar.com. Yes, that's BuiltBar.com. And if you go there right now, you have 15% off with the promo code LOCKED15. If you use that promo code, once again, it's LOCKED15. That's 15% off on your next order with BuiltBar.com. Check it all out. There's plenty to check out at BuiltBar.com, and I recommend all the flavors. You can find it all at BuiltBar.com, and you can try Built Bar today. One more time, promo code LOCKED15, 15% off at BuiltBar.com. All right, we'll go to the third quarter now, and uh, a, a change, we'll say, at the outset. I think the right one you know, there was lots of questions I got, you know, both before and after Friday's game. I think less because they won, but the decision to go with the big lineup with no point guard uh, on Friday was not one that was, like, always 100% received well. It ended up working in that game. In this game, it did not work very well, and to McMillan's credit, he changed that at halftime, went to Goodwin. Now, Goodwin, he wasn't great, but it changed the look, and they ran more pick and roll, and that ended up working out a little bit, I would say, much better after halftime offensively. So that was the first change. There's a big dunk from Collins early in the third quarter after a pass from Herter. They finally got to the line, and that was a big key in the second half as well, just getting the free throw line after not getting there in the first half, getting some more friendly whistles. The Hawks got to the line um, twice in a row, basically, 
Um, got actually into the bonus with about seven minutes left in the third quarter, so that kind of set the tone for a much more productive and more efficient, it's definitely more of a slog at times, but getting to the line is always helpful for your efficiency. The Hawks showed by 10, um, sort of midway through the third quarter, but they, they scored six, six four points in a row, had a 9-2 to two run overall. They were pretty effective at pick and roll at times against Milwaukee's drop, I thought. Uh, it was back and forth for a few minutes, but the Hawks did get to the line nine times in nine minutes. And in general, the Hawks... Avoided damage in the third, but it was actually kind of a little bit disappointing, actually. The Hawks had cut it to three. It was hanging around three to five, and then in the final minute, the Bucks hit a three, and then Hill missed a bunny at the rim. So the Hawks were down by eight again. So they actually played dead even in the third, which is kind of frustrating. At the same time, though, they hung around. And that's the big credit here, like just waiting for the barrage to happen. You know, the Hawks are obviously underdogs down eight to a team that is perceived to be better than them, even in their home building at the end of the third quarter. But down eight is better than down 15. That's just a difference that happens there. So you get some variance in the fourth quarter, as they did, obviously, and uh, you're in a good position. So still, like, better offensively, but they uh, this is something to circle. The Hawks were 5 of 24 from three at the end of the third quarter. Uh, the Bucks were actually batted from three the entire game, whereas both teams were at the end of the third quarter, but one team found it in the fourth, and the other team did not, and that was a big difference in the game. Um, by the way, some pretty bizarre officiating at times in the second half as well. It went from letting everything go in the first half to calling everything after halftime, which was a sharp change. Um, it worked out in the Hawks' favor, I think, a little bit in the second half, but still kind of a, just a weirdly officiated game overall. I don't want to do all that too much. But a nice start from the Hawks in the fourth. They scored, uh, it was 9-4 to four out of the outset, and then McDonald's had a three to get back, back within two with about seven and a half minutes to go. That was a big swing, and then uh, they took the lead on a corner three by Lou Williams at the seven-minute mark of the fourth quarter. That was the first bucket of the night for Lou to give them the lead. It was the first lead in a long time as well. Then, after the Bucks actually scored again, Lou hit another three to get it going. The Bucks scored again, and the Madonjas hit a three to go up by 91-89. So that was three in a row for Atlanta, and uh, that was not the end of it. Uh, Lou gets fouled there. Actually, makes only one of two, but they got to stop. Um, Collins got elbowed in the face, actually, with no call. That was uh, unfortunate, and Collins still does not draw whistles. Um, but after a timeout, Lou hits another three to go up by six. He had 10 points in a minute 58 seconds, which is wild after he had not scored the entire game to that point. Um, they fouled Giannis, who split free throws, and then McDonald's just had another three. That was six in a row. Uh, ended up being as many as seven in a row in the fourth quarter. But they put, that put the Hawks up by 10, basically, uh, after Lou got a layup. So it went from down eight to start the quarter to up 10 with 4.04 to go. So essentially an 18-point swing in about eight minutes to really decide the game. Now, it wasn't over at that point. The Bucks did make a couple of modest runs in the final minutes, but Drew Holiday misses both free throws at one point, and then they missed a pretty wide-open corner three that would have been cutting the lead to four. The Hawks were still in control, but if that shot goes in, it's a little bit dicey. A little bit. But it didn't, and then Lou hits a dagger, with under a minute to go on the left wing to put the game away. So, fast forward to the end. The Hawks' fourth quarter numbers were wild. 41 points. That is the second most they've scored in the fourth quarter of this season against uh, only the Kings. They had 42 against the Kings earlier this year. 71% from the floor in the fourth. 8 of 11 from three. The Hawks made as many threes in the fourth quarter as the Bucks did in the game. So that tells you, you know, it's kind of crazy. The Hawks still only shot 37% from three in the game. But when you close 8 of 11... 
you're going to win <laughs> more often than not. The Bucks have pretty much one Achilles heel defensively, and it's giving up a lot of threes and, and giving up a lot of made threes, and that kind of reared its ugly head. Now, part of that was the shot making, though. Like, like you know, Lou gets in his zone, and he's hard to stop. Bogdanovich continues to be just in a crazy run right now, and those two guys were the biggest reasons why the Hawks did that. But still, 8-11 from three and a quarter is massive. Uh, I got the line 12 times, made nine of them. Lou had 15 in the fourth on five shots. <laughs> Bogdanovich had 12 in the fourth on five shots. So uh, just some wild shot making to uh, get them across the finish line down the stretch. Um, some takeaways now from the game itself. As I said before, I sort of alluded to this, but I, I firmly believe it. This is not a sexy opinion. It's very on brand for me, I guess. This is a defense first win for the Hawks. Again, the fourth quarter shooting is going to get the attention and the execution, and it's definitely more fun to talk about and watch. I get all that. It was huge. They had to have it. They were losing. No argument here. Overall, though, Defense was the biggest thing here in this game. The Hawks held the Bucks to about 1.04 points per possession in this game, which isn't like spectacular, but it's well below Milwaukee's scoring average in terms of points per possession. Now, that's that's huge, particularly on a night when you didn't score a lot. I sort of alluded to it earlier, but just hanging around for that long makes it easy for you, easier, I should say, for you to pull away late. But the Hawks did a great job from Capella on down playing defense. Um, just getting consistency, getting in the way, making life tough on the Bucks. Now, part of that is the Bucks not playing well, for sure, offensively. But the Hawks did a great, great, great job in this game, walling off at the rim and uh, doing a great job on, on, the, on the glass, by the way. They grabbed 91% of defensive rebounds, which is remarkable on that end of the floor. So that's awesome in itself. And I want to shout out the defense because that was, for me, the biggest reason why they won this game. Obviously, there was lots of individual shot making that happened late, but defensively, it was really good as a team effort throughout the game. Um, offensively, 23 free throw attempts after the half, after taking zero in the first half. That was a big swing. They were aggressive. Um, by the way, both teams had the exact same free throw numbers, 18 and 23 for the full game. Just kind of got there in different ways. But the Hawks actually didn't shoot. As well, true shooting-wise, the Bucks had the better numbers than the Hawks did in this game. But the Hawks had one more offensive rebound, they had two fewer turnovers, and there you go. That's kind of the difference in this game, honestly. It was that, that was it. Seven points. Um, that, that little swing won the game for the Hawks on the, uh, on the nerdy side of the stat sheet. So we'll dive into the individual stuff in a moment, and there's plenty to discuss there as well. Some standings look ahead for the uh, rest of the week that's to come for the Hawks. But first... They were from our sponsors, and the first of which is BetOnline.ag. BetOnline is the fastest and the easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. Football is not happening right now, and I understand that's a lot of people's favorite thing to bet on in the sports world, but there are plenty of other options, including the NBA, of course. You have the NHL, auto racing, golf, tennis, MMA, college sports, everything you can imagine you can find it at BetOnline.ag. And BetOnline even covers awards, entertainment bets, TV shows, and reality TV. BetOnline also has real-time updated odds and all kinds of props on almost anything you can imagine. Props are really fun to get into the sports betting world if you've not tried it before. And on top of that, BetOnline has you covered for all the news, scores, and the odds that you need. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website now at betonline.ag or use mobile device to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit if you use the promo code Locked On. That is 50%. And a welcome bonus on your first deposit when you use the promo code locked on at betonline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right, we'll get into the individual stuff now as we uh, go to stretch around this podcast. And uh, we'll start with the more modest contributions on the bench because it was definitely sort of a hit and miss up and down the ledger here. 
Um, definitely changed in the fourth quarter some. But Okongwu was the quietest, I thought, in this game. No points. 0-3 from the floor. Had a rebound. I think defensively he was fine, but offensively, you know, missed a couple of bunnies that he needs to make for sure. Not his best work by any means. I thought he was pretty good on Friday, but not his best year. So we'll kind of leave it there. But he has, that was a rookie moment at times for Kong Wu. That's going to happen sometimes. It's a bad matchup in a lot of ways for him. So uh, there you go. Goom is pretty quiet. Three points, five assists, though. That's a very nice mark in 18 minutes. Three rebounds. It was plus one. I thought he gave them a jolt for sure in the second half when they changed the lineup. That was the right decision in my view to go with someone who can just the uh, tempo a little bit, run some pick and roll. Etc. Um, Gallinari was big off the bench, 15 points in 21 minutes, 8 away from the free throw line. He's that great sort of throw it to a guy, get out of the way kind of player at the end of a shot clock. They have a few of those guys now, but Gallinari just is a matchup nightmare. Um, to be fair, the Bucks actually have some guys that can get get on him a little bit with Giannis, but they didn't really generally have those guys on him. It was a lot of like DiVincenzo in a switch or Pat Connaughton or whatever, and they didn't have enough size to deal with Gallinari, who, d- who took advantage of that. He wasn't like fantastic, but he was, uh, I think, pretty useful offensively, especially when the Hawks didn't have much going at times earlier in the game. Williams, it was uh, night and day, as we say. So first three quarters, he was pretty awful, honestly. Uh, as bad as he's been at times for the Hawks. But in the fourth, 15 points on 5 of 5 shooting. So he ends the game 5 of 12. That means he was 0 of 7 in the first three quarters. So definitely a tale of two games for Lou, but he was plus 11 because of the late kick. Six assists, three rebounds, 15 points. So that's kind of what you're going to get. Obviously, this is a pretty extreme version, but it's going to happen with Lou. He's going to have some hot moments. He's going to have some cold moments. And you're hoping that the hot outweighs the cold. That definitely happened in this game with the way that he played in the fourth quarter. To the starters in this spot. Uh, I thought all of them did different things at a very valuable level. So we'll start with the uh, the quiet offensive guys. That is Solomon Hill. Two points and a season-high 12 rebounds for Solomon Hill. Um had an assist, three, three fouls, plus five. He's actually oh, one of eight from the floor and oh, four from three. So offensively, not his best. But defensively, he's just so valuable. Like, he really gets he gets them organized. He can switch. He can get in the way. He's physical. He's not, like, a lockdown guy by any means, but I think he was very valuable in this game to have, to, and that was a big part of their defense. Not as big as Capella, for sure, but definitely useful to play the three and kind of get in uh, Chris, Chris Middleton's way at times and all kinds of stuff. So a highs and lows game for Solomon Hill. Good defense, kind of poor offense, but they worked out pretty well for him overall. And then Capella did not have his offensive game here. In fact, he tied for his season low with six points, but was plus 16. That was a game-best figure, and I think he earned that. Obviously, plus-minus in a single game is sometimes skewed, and I try to tell you guys when I think that's definitely the case. In this spot, it was not. I think he was awesome defensively, and that's what the focus was here. They didn't run a lot through him offensively, nor should they against the Bucks. but 14 rebounds. Six, six points, an assist, a steal. Did a good job on Giannis. I know Giannis had 31 points, but he's, he's going to do that. I thought Capella was so hugely valuable. If you watch the game on Friday, a game the Hawks won, by the way. Even And Akong was great in the fourth quarter, especially on Friday. But it's just night and day with Capella. He's so good when he plays def- defensively. He's the anchor of everything they do on that end of the floor, and it showed again in this in a spot as he returned, and they don't win this game without Capella. I believe that wholeheartedly. Um, and then the th- three guys who were most productive offensively, Collins at 18 points, five rebounds, two assists, a steal, and a block, plus four in 31 minutes. I thought he got, the, I thought he should have got the line a few different times. That he did not get to the line here, but he still managed to be efficient. Seven of 12 from the floor and one of three from three. I thought he was pretty good. Um, not his like, absolute best, but a, a very solid like B B plus game probably from Collins. He played well. And then the backcourt of Bogdanovich and Herter will save Bogey for last, but 20 points for Kevin Herter, and uh, he was very good, especially in the first half. He was kind of the one of the only guys along, along with Bogey that was playing well. Before halftime, 
and they needed that for sure. He made a couple of big shots, a couple of nice floaters. He's sort of, I think he's gotten even more aggressive with his uh, off the dribble game recently, which is good to see. And for him to be able to be super efficient on that when he shoots one of five from three is a nice step forward. There's been lots of times in his career where Herter, where Herter was unable to sort of overcome poor three-point shooting games. In this spot, again, one of five from three, but eight of nine on two. That's a huge night for Kevin and a nice supporting performance. And then Madonovich was, again, the uh, centerpiece of the offense. Madonovich has now scored 20 or more in three straight games in seven of the last eight. He tied his season high with 32 points here. And by the way, with this performance, he was 6 of 11 from three in this game. He is back to 50% from three in the month of April. And now it's late April. We're talking about three and a half, almost four weeks now of this. 50% shooting from three. He's 63 of 126 from three in April. Now, some of that is some crazy shot making. Uh, a big thing that I will I will credit to Andrew Kelly, who mentioned this a little bit on Twitter, but a big thing with Bonanza right now is that if he's open, it's going in. Like, right, he's just not missing open shots, which seems simple enough, but even the best NBA shooters, you're going to miss some open threes. It's just, it's, it's a three, it's a tough shot. You're going to miss some of those. It feels like Bonanza is shooting like 80% on open threes. It's not quite that much, but it's wild how much it seems like he's automatic when he's open right now. So a heck of an effort from him. Once again, a uh, team high 32 had three steals as well as pretty active, three assists, ran some pick and roll, um, six of ten on twos. So he was just very, very good. Once again, led the team in minutes. And uh, his breakout has been really interesting. And if you are a Hawks fan, I'm sure I saw a lot of people mention this, but I, I, I'm not always going to lean into this stuff on the podcast, but I will do it now. Uh, there was some interesting <laughs> fallout with Bogdanovich doing this against Milwaukee, uh, who obviously wanted to get him over the summer slash late summer slash fall. And uh, a little bit of... Uh, let's just say a storyline there with Bogdanovich going off against Milwaukee. Uh, pretty sweet for Atlanta to both get him away from Milwaukee. And also uh, this brings back all the Kings jokes because the Kings not matching, as I said on the t- at the time, did not make a lot of sense to me and it doesn't make any sense now. Um, it, it is kind of funny to re-examine some of the thoughts people were sharing about Bogdanovich early on when he kind of struggled out of the gate and had the injury and people were worried about him. Not so much anymore. He's been fantastic for quite some time now and uh, a big part of why the Hawks are on this run that they're on. So, Heck of an effort from the Hawks, obviously, in this spot, and we'll have much, much more going on this week. Before we get out of here, uh, the standings, quick check, quick check in here. The Hawks have 11 more games left as we're here late in late in April. They're, with this win, they're now tied with the Knicks for the four seed. The Knicks do have the tiebreaker, which is unfortunate, but still the Hawks are firmly in that 4-5 mix. They are now two games ahead of Boston and Miami, and here's a big thing. Two games is actually three games against Boston and Miami because they have the tiebreaker against both of those teams. Charlotte beat Boston on Sunday, so thanks to Charlotte for that. If you're a Hawks fan, you're rooting for Charlotte in that game all day long, and they won that one. Miami and New York both won on Saturday, but still, the Hawks are in a great spot now because it's essentially a three-game lead in terms of being in that 4-5 matchup. And while the Hawks did beat the Bucks tonight, objectively, you want to be in the 4-5 because it's a lot easier in a playoff series to project the Hawks to be competitive slash win against a team like Boston, Miami, or New York than it would be against Milwaukee. No one says that they can't beat Milwaukee, but matchup-wise, even with this one, you have to say, at least I will say, that it's uh, much, much more likely for the Hawks to advance out of the first round if they're playing one of these teams rather than Milwaukee or Brooklyn or Philadelphia in the first round. So, a nice win in the standings as well for Atlanta, and they're in great shape now. Um, Team Avoid the Play-In is looking fantastic at this moment. From here, the Hawks go to Detroit for a pretty tricky back-to-back. I know the Pistons are kind of bad. I understand that. They're 18-43. and But they're actually better than that net net rating-wise. They've been fairly competitive lately. Um, And they had Sunday off, so they'd have the rest edge and home court on Monday. I'll be surprised if Trey plays. I'm not reporting that by any means, but considering 
what they've been saying, what, what McMillan said. I'd be surprised if he was back on Monday. So if you factor in back-to-back, no Trey and whatever else, the Hawks will be favored unless they have a lot more absences. But that's a game that the Hawks can lose. I'm not telling them that they're going to, but sort of a trap, weird game after two big wins against Detroit. So circle that one. We'll actually talk about that one, of course, after the game on Monday night. But that is a uh, interesting game to be sure on paper. As uh, before they from there, the Hawks go to Philly and play two in a row. So you know they have this five game stretch of, of huge games, and then there's Detroit in the middle. It's not a huge game, but it's on the road, back to back, all that stuff. So a schedule spot to be sure. Okay. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. I appreciate everybody that's uh, checking in regularly with the show. We've had some growth in the, re- in, in the recent past. I really appreciate all of that investment. Please tell your friends about the podcast. Please subscribe, uh, rate, review, all that fun stuff. We'll be back again after the game on Monday.